Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What is going on, everybody? Boy, is it good to be back here behind the microphone for a brand new episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, episode number 183. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. It feels a little weird. It's been two weeks since the last episode, episode 182, but I do want to give my thanks to you guys for understanding that I was under the weather. I had a really good cold that just wiped out my throat. It just really put me under the, you know, under the gun and I just was not able to do all too much. Being at the shop here was a struggle, I'm not going to lie, and I really really didn't want to cancel last or I should say postpone because I didn't cancel episode 183. I just postponed it till today. So, but thank you guys. I really do appreciate you understanding that and it does mean a lot to me. But we are back with another episode today. I am fresh. I am recharged. I'm ready to rock and roll because we do have an abundance of things to talk about today. I want to get into the Boston Celtics and how right I was about them. I want to get into the Bruins a little bit and talk about their big game last night. A potential a potential NHL Finals matchup. And then, of course, with the draft looming a month and a half or so away, I know we have free agency and there's probably going to be trades that happen that could shake things up. But I do want to talk about my personal top 10 for the 2023 NFL mock draft. I did this last year. Actually, I started with 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. But I want to do top 10 first. And then maybe next week, I'm not too sure exactly, but maybe next week we can talk about a whole 1.0. And hopefully by the time next week rolls around, we'll have a little bit of more news and information to kind of go off on. But for today, we're going to talk about just the top 10 in regards to the NFL draft. I I just want to dive right into it. You know, we're about a couple minutes into this episode already. I want to dive into it and say how right I was about this Boston Celtics team. A couple weeks ago, uh, I don't know how many games they have left. Uh, let's see. 46 and 21, 47, 67. So there's 15 games left. Okay, that we're at, what did I say? 67 games. When it was 52 games played into the season, I took a look at the Celtics, and I think at that point, the first 26 games, they were 21 and 5, and then the next 26 games, they were like 16, or no, it was closer to 500. I forget what the exact numbers were. And I was like, I told you guys, the beginning of the season is not sustainable. I wanted to see more. I wanted to see this team go through adversity. Every team, whether you're good or bad, goes through hot stretches, go through bad stretches. Um, you, you have the best team in the league for a handful. You're the worst team in the league for a handful. It's just the way that it goes. Look at the Celtics last year. They were a middling 500 team for a good portion of the season, just about half the season. Then they click and turn it on, and they're arguably the best team in the league for the second half of the season. Red Sox last year started off slow, got hot, finished uber mediocre, and then they were just kind of dog shit towards the end of the season. So it happens, and those are just local examples. Uh, You could even look at the Yankees last year, you know, the hottest team in baseball for the first three, four months, and then they're just a subpar team at the very best. And they were on pace, you know, for 130 wins or whatever, and, you know, they were going to win the World Series, they were unstoppable, and next thing you know, they win 100 and whatever games. They lose in the American League Championship Series. So it, it happens. It happens, right? But the really big thing that I'm so concerned about is what's been going on this past week. Um, 
I liked the, the overtime win against the Pacers. I liked the the three point win. Yeah, I think was that Tatum's shot at the buzzer. I believe that was his shot at the buzzer. You win by three there. You lose to the Knicks, 109-94, get absolutely blown out. Yeah, and then you beat the Cavaliers by four with de do. I mean, but that's a game that should never have been that close to begin with because you were up by 20-something points. So how did that game get so close? And then you look at the Nets game where you lose by 10, 115-105. You were up by 28 points. And you lose by 10? How do they outscore you by 38 points like that? And listen, this is a Nets team that doesn't have Kyrie Irving no more. This team does not have Kevin Durant no more. Ben Simmons sure as hell ain't dropping 40 points. Let's see, how many points did he even accumulate for? Oh, he didn't even play. So, like, what are we doing? Now, how about this next game? 131-129 in overtime. Then you lose the overtime to the Cavaliers, 118-114. Now, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Celtics should win every single game. I'm not saying that. It's the way that this team is losing these games. You're up by double digits, blowing leads, up by double digits, losing games. It's just not reassuring at this point in the season. And yes, I would rather it happen now in March than in April and May and June even if you get that far. But these are little kinks and wrinkles that we would like to have seen get pressed out in November, December, January, February even. And I really think that this team had such a good hot start at the beginning of the season. They are cooling off. They literally wake up and think they can beat anybody. And honestly, I truly believe that they can. I feel like that you could blow out the Knicks by 20. You can blow out the Cavaliers by 20. Teams you're going to be potentially facing in the first, maybe second round of the playoffs. But you need to close out these games. Grant Williams saying that he's going to hit both of these free throws and missing both of those free throws is disgustingly ugly. It is so embarrassing. Not just for Grant Williams, but for the team itself. For the Celtics themselves, it's embarrassing. Because you know what? Even if he makes one, all you needed was to make one. There was little to no time left. I don't remember if the Cavs had a, had a timeout or not. But honestly, they're just going to catch and shoot. So if the ball goes in, it's going to be a three-pointer. And they're going to win regardless whether he makes one or two. And like I said, I don't remember if they had a, a timeout or not. Then again, it doesn't really matter. It's just so frustrating that you're losing against teams. I forgot to mention the Knicks. You know, that's a team you could potentially play in the first round. They've caught on fire. And you lose twice to them. I mean, that just does not sit well. You're losing against teams that you could see in the first or second round. Maybe even both rounds of the playoffs. Maybe you catch the Knicks in the first round, but then you catch the Cavs in the second round. This just does not look good for this team. And and what really, really ticks me off is, I think what Joe Mazzula was asked, oh, what are you going to tell Grant Williams after missing those free throws? That I love him. It's like, uh, I, the love and the support and the chemistry that these guys have is extremely awesome to see. It really shows a well-rounded team that they care for each other and they're playing for one another. I love that. But you got to chew his damn ass out. Maybe not maybe not in front of the reporter, in front of the media. But in the locker room, you better be chewing his ass out. How could you say that you're going to make both of those free throws and then you go on to, to miss both of them? Well, I'm just fixing my windscreen here. Looked like it was a little off. Anyways, like it gets to the point I've had this conversation with a couple people here in the shop. Does this team miss Ime Udoka? Honestly, does this team miss Ime Udoka? And I think they kind of do. I really, really think that they kind of do in, in a way that Udoka had such real, had really deep coaching experience, whether it was, was he a Nets um, assistant for a bit? I know he's with Greg Popovich in the Spurs and Team USA. He's been around the block. He was under Popovich's wing. And he was a really good coach. Again, last year started off slow, but then it got going. And he would tell it to you straight. He would take no bullshit. And he would give you tough love. 
He would tell you, go play defense. Stop whining. Stop crying for fouls and calls. And I think that's exactly what the Celtics need right now. And again, he's not coming back. And Joe Mazzulla has been doing a great job. I'm not saying, please don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that Ime Udoka would be a better coach right now than Joe Mazzulla. Udoka would be a better fit right now than Mazzulla. Uh, we need Udoka. We wouldn't be losing these games if we had him over Missoula. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not. There are two different styles of coaching. And the style that we had last year could be really beneficial and helpful this year. That's all I'm saying. I think Joe Mazzulla has been doing a fantastic job for the Celtics. You know, he has such high expectations uh, just from the team, the league, fans, the organization. And he's been doing an exceptionally well job. He has been. But there's a lack of experience and there's a little bit of deficiency in his coaching just because no experience. How is he handling these guys? When Grant Williams misses two free throws, how is he going to handle it in the locker room? Is he just going to sit there and, and pat his back and tell him it's okay that he loves him? Or is he going to choose ass out and make him shoot 200 free throws? So it's like these are little things that separate good teams from bad teams and good teams from great teams. And right now the Celtics are kind of in that pendulum swing of being either a good team or a great team. And for the first two-thirds of the season, Celtics were a great team. They were arguably the best team. And they have slipped immensely. Again, I'd rather this happen now than next month and in May. But it is concerning. It really is concerning. Luckily, you know, the Celtics are coming up against the Hawks tomorrow, the Rockets on Monday, the Timberwolves, the Blazers again, the Jazz. So there is there is a little bit of there's a road trip that they're going on, you know, after they just beat the the Trailblazers 11593 yesterday. They're gonna go on a road trip and hopefully it can speak volume. Hopefully this road trip can speak a little volume and help this team. Because they're going to be playing in Atlanta, Houston, Minnesota, Portland, Utah, and Sacramento. They're going to have six away games between now and next Tuesday. There's going to be a lot of bonding time with just the team. And I really think this is going to help them long-term, especially if they can win five of those games. Six of those games, I mean, just don't come back from this on this trip and go three for six or two for six. Like, oh my god, like the Hawks, you should win. Rock, you should win all these games. Kings have been playing really well this year, but you should be able to beat them. Like, you really should be able to beat them. You have Tatum, you have Brown, you have Robert Williams, Marcus. Like, I mean, they have De'Aaron Fox, who's been playing great. Demona Sabonis been playing great. Malik Monk, you know, he's been playing really good this season. Back with Fox. But you should beat them. You should beat them. So how concerned am I? Am I hitting the panic button? The big giant red panic button for the Celtics team? No. I don't want to. I don't think so. But I'm sure damn close. And the results from this road trip will honestly probably determine if I am or not. Because again, there's what? 15 games left? And 6 of those next 15 are all on the road. On that road trip that I talked about. But you still have, after that road trip, you still have to play the Bucks in Milwaukee. You still have to play the 76ers in Philadelphia. And those are potential second, third round matchups that you're going to have to face. And you're going to have to go into those stadiums and those arenas and win. You know, I'm not too concerned about Toronto coming in. I'm not too concerned about Atlanta or Utah coming in. Or going to Washington to play the Wizards. I'm not concerned about those games. They're all winnable games. And they should be won. And honestly the way that you're playing right now. You almost need. To beat the Bucks in Milwaukee. To beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia. To give yourself a level of reassurance. And a level of confidence. That if you do see these teams in the playoffs. That you're going to be able to go in there and beat them. Because you may or may not have home court advantage against the Bucks. In a seven-game series. The Philadelphia 76ers are breathing down your neck for, what, the second seed in the East? So if you face them, you may not have home court advantage. So you're going to have to play 
four games on their court in a best of seven. You're going to have to win one. So I really do think that this away trip for the Celtics will be a big tell because when they come back, they got a nice couple games against the Pacers, the Spurs, the Wizards. But I think that depending on this road trip, it depends if I hit that panic button because once they get back, they will have two, four, six, eight, nine games left of the regular season. When they come back from that that road trip, they will have nine games left of the regular season. And honestly, we will see how close they are to the one seed, how much room they have from the 76ers for the two seed, or maybe how far back you are from the two seed, if I'm being completely honest. So, I mean, things could, you know, we will have an episode of Merce Boston Sports Talk before the Trailblazers game. So we've already seen half of the road trip going to Atlanta, Houston, and Minnesota. And we can kind of update where we are on the panic button from there. But that's currently where I sit with the Celtics team. Um, how good am I feeling on a scale of 1 to 10? 6. You know, I, I'd say if we get down to like a 3. F- given how the season started and how it was going, if it gets down to a 4, I would panic. Typically, I'd say probably like a 2 or a 3 hit the panic button. But Celtics, man, you got to love them. You got to love them for this level of inconsistency. It is absolutely wild. And talking about inconsistency, let's skate on over and talk about this Boston Bruins game because this game against the Edmonton Oilers was one for the ages. And I'm not saying it was one for the ages in terms of action or in terms of intensity, but it was a potential NBA Finals matchup. Uh, NBA, wow, wow, that... Wow. I know I kind of caught myself pretty quickly, but like I said that so confidently. I was like, yeah, the Bruins and the Edmonton Oilers, NBA finals, tip off, you know, four quarters, dribble shoot. You know, I was just, wow, I was so confident saying that. A potential Stanley Cup finals matchup, excuse me. And this was a really good game. This was going to test the Bruins, and they've had, what were they on, a nine, a 10, 10 game win streak? And they played against a bunch of good teams, including the Oilers on this win streak. Excuse me. They've beaten teams on this win streak. I'm trying to go back to when it started. Uh, Let's see. They beat the Rangers. They beat the Sabres, the Flames, the Oilers, like I already mentioned. The Canucks, the Kraken, who have been really good this year. The Senators, the Islanders, who have been good. Predators. When when the hell the last time they lose? Oh, it's the Capitals, 2-1. They played the Stars and the Predators. So, like, the Bruins team... This Bruins team beat a handful of good Western Conference teams. Again, including the Oilers themselves. But I think the real big draw for this game was Connor McDavid's only time in Boston. Everybody wanted to see Connor McDavid. There wasn't an empty seat in the Garden last night. However, there was no energy. There was little to no energy in that building. Like I understand that the Oilers had like the puck in the Bruins end for the first four minutes, and the Bruins had like no offensive action. I understand that. But even when Marshan scored that gift of a goal, let's say, you know, yeah, woo, goal, you know, it just wasn't all too exhilarating still. You know, and then they go up two nothing. And it's like, okay, let's, you know, but the crowd is still quiet. It's like, what are we doing? Like, you should be. This is a potential Stanley Cup playoff matchup. Stanley Cup final matchup. And we're just sitting in our seats with a 2-0 lead. Like, we should be on our feet, you know, absolutely making it hell on this team. And then they go back and, and, and the Oilers win 3-2. And before I got to the shop here to record this episode, I was listening to the radio and some guy was saying, like, oh, Swayman cost us this game. Swayman cost us this game. What? Like I'll, I'll I'll give you, I'll give you that Swayman. You know, maybe the first or second goal, maybe his fault. I mean, you look at what was it, the first one? I think it was a four on one, for the Oilers. I mean, that's that's tough to beat four on one. I, uh, gee, I forget the second goal. Uh, I don't think the second goal was a power play goal. I don't believe. I know the. Oilers had one opportunity, 
But then that last goal, it's just he was screened. He couldn't see. So, like, I'm not putting this game on Jeremy Swayman at all. I'm going to put it on the Bruins for getting two gifts of a goal. You know, again, the first goal was the Marshawn goal, and the second goal was the goalie not clearing the puck, Krejci intercepting it, pass to Pasternak. He snipes and he scores with .3 seconds left on the clock. Like, I'm not going to say that was a gift, but that was kind of delivered on a silver platter from a goalie. And that puts you up to nothing. Okay, keep the gas pedal down. But no, they let up. It was with a third period. They went seven minutes without a shot. Meanwhile, Edmonton scores a goal in the first. I'm sorry, in the second. And then they score two goals in the third. And you just couldn't get a shot on net for seven minutes. I mean, they were talking about how they were blanketing. Connor McDavid, how they were blanketing, you know, the Oilers who are, you know, one of the top offenses in the NHL. And that was true. And they did that for a period and a half. You know, if you want to count the goals still in the second, okay, happens. They still blanketed them predominantly for two periods. It's just what happened in the third. Edmonton was blanketing the Bruins. Bruins couldn't do anything. And it was... I don't want to say it was frustrating to watch, but it was, you could just see it written on the stars that like, oh my God, they're going to, they're going to score. And then they score and then it's tied and like, they have all the momentum right now. The life is sucked out of the garden. The fans aren't into it. What, what, what's going on? And like, yeah, the time off was good to help relax, to get you, you know, blazing fast out of the gates, you know, in terms of, you know, stamina, fatigue, speed and all that stuff. But you started off four minutes in the defensive end. Got a couple gift goals. And, like, you had all the time to prepare for Conor McDavid, who, by the way, had a couple empty net opportunities and missed them, which was kind of funny. But you blanketed them to just one official shot on goal. That was in the beginning of the game, and that was it. So I will give the Bruins defense credit for shutting down the best, the absolute best hockey player in the world. And it wasn't just the defense. It was obviously the offense who also contributed to that. So congratulations for that. However, in the meantime, you allowed the Oilers to get three goals. Uh, who scored? It was uh, Bouchard, it was McLeod, and Darnell Nurse. Listen, if you're giving up a goal, give it up to McDavid or Dreisaitl or you know even Evander Kane for that matter. But just where did the offense go? If you take away, excuse me, you take away that gift, those two gift goals, the Bruins essentially had zero, zero offense last night. Am I concerned? No. Because at the end of the day, the Oilers are, again, one of the best teams in the NHL. And I really do think that they will come out of the West. If not, they will certainly be a team to reckon with. And I understand that you know the standings don't serve them all too great, but their offensive statistics look really good. Their defensives, you know, they just shut down the best scoring team in the NHL in the Bruins. I'm just trying to look how many points they have. They would, would be a threat. the first wildcard team. Yeah, they'd be the first wildcard team in the West. It, it doesn't really matter. Seating really does not matter in hockey. It's just You just got to get in, honestly. You just got to get in. Um, but this Oilers team, I mean, Seattle Kraken coming out of nowhere. How sustainable is that? Kings feels like they haven't been this good in like a decade. Golden Knights, we know that they're good. So seeing this Oilers team and getting this, this, uh, mouse (laughs) and, and seeing them in person and seeing what they can do and what you can do to them, I think is a really good, good experience for the Bruins. Again, you beat them a couple weeks ago which is good. That was in Edmonton. Then you lose to them last night in Boston. Like that, three to two. That was a score both times, three to two, and the away team won both. You got a home and home against Detroit. You got the Blackhawks, and then you go out west. Oh, actually, no, you leave to go out west after the first game against the Red Wings. You go to Detroit to play them there. And then you go to Chicago, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Buffalo. So you're going to have a nice little road trip there. But then you got to come back. You got to play Tampa. You got to play Carolina, Pittsburgh, Toronto, who've kind of fallen off. So, like, there's 
this schedule is not going to be a layup moving forward. It's not going to be. I don't think, at least. But I think the Bruins will be tested. They have some. They do have some layups coming up. But I think predominantly this team will be tested long term. You know, over the course of however many games are left in their season. I don't know how many. 20, I think they were saying last night. So am I concerned? No, I'm not really concerned. Am I puzzled? Kind of, yeah. Like, was, were the Oilers just able to really make those in, um, those intermission adjustments significantly better than you? I guess. I guess so. Because, I mean, you looked good for a lot, a lot of that first period and a lot for the first half of the second period. You looked really, really damn good. But something slipped and it just fell apart. And, you know, it happened against a good team, which rather it happened against a good team than a bad team, I guess. But let's let's not make this a norm, right? Let's get back on our feet. You know, we have a game with a game tomorrow, right? And let's go get a couple wins on this road trip. Let's get a few wins on this road trip, right? Um, but it does suck that the Bruins lost for the first time in regulation at the Garden. Um, I guess rather happen now than in the middle of April and May and in and, and June if they can get there. But I, it was fun to watch. Again, it, it is. Should I be more upset that they lost? They blew a two nothing lead, or should I be more proud that they were able to shut down the best player in the world? Looking in hindsight, I think they focused a little too much on shutting down Connor McDavid. But I guess in hindsight, if you didn't take focus that energy on to McDavid. Maybe they still would have win, and it was just McDavid getting the goals instead of McLeod or friggin' Darnell Nurse or whoever it may have been. So it, it's it's hard to look at it. Just at the end of the day, take from this, move forward, and and you know right the ship because Bruins still in a really good spot right now. I'm not panicking. I'm not, of course not, but I want to see them be able to maybe go on another five game win streak after losing. Right? You know, you just came off of a ten game win streak. Okay, now. Go win another handful of games in a row and just show that, like, hey, we slipped up once, but we're still on course. Like, this is still our season. Losses are going to happen, but they're not going to be the norm. And we're not going to let it get to the best of us because we're going to go out, we're going to play Detroit, and we're going to take care of business both here at the Garden and in Detroit on Sunday. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right. So those are my takes on both the Celtics and the Bruins, a couple local teams. And I really do want to drive in, dive into the NFL draft. And again, there's still going to be a lot to be determined between now and, I don't even know when this draft starts, 2023 NFL draft. When does it start? April 27th, it starts. There's free agency, there's trades, players are going to get cut. You know, obviously, we just had the combine. There's going to be, um, why can't I think of it? Um, Pro days, there we go. Couldn't even think of what it was called, pro days. So a lot is going to change between now and then. A lot will change. But here, we are sitting on March 10th. Oh, by the way, today's my brother's birthday. He's been on the channel early you know this is on the youtube channel now i'm speaking early early back you know we did what home run derby together um i even had him on as a guest for the podcast so i mean happy birthday grim trip my brother hopefully you have a good one i'll be seeing you tomorrow we'll have some fun um 
But as we sit here on March 10th, I have a top 10 pulled up. And I released this on my Instagram three days ago. So what is it? Uh, what was it? Uh, Tuesday, right? Tuesday, I think it was. And I'm really, this is, again, this is a top 10 mock draft with no projected trades. And I'll just go over each pick and I'll just explain why I had them go in there. So number one, I have the Bears taking Will Anderson out of Alabama. I just think the revolution, and we'll see this as a trend in my top 10 mock, that defensive ends, edge rushers, are like, it's hard to explain. Like, they're the closer on defense. We've seen that before, time and time again. Matthew Judon getting to the quarterback. Aaron Donald getting pressure on Joe Burrow before he get the pass off to Jamar in the Super Bowl. Like, edge rushers are disruptors. They can get to the quarterback. They're going to make the quarterback's life miserable. And he's not going to be able to get the read and get the throw off. So I think the Bears addressing the giant elephant in the room, and that's being defense with their new head coach, being the Eagles' um former defensive coordinator where he had a plethora of of toys on the defensive side of the ball to use again do i think the bears will take uh stay at number one no they're going to trade out but here with no projected trades i probably won't have any projected trades in my 1.0 either maybe maybe not i'm not sure if i want to do the whole trade thing because last year we saw during the draft trades left and right it was just so hard to keep up with and again, it can really cause for some inaccuracies. Could Arizona trade out? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they want to stay. Will Carolina trade up? Maybe, maybe not. But number two, I have Houston taking Bryce Young. They're going to completely reset the quarterback position by taking, my opinion, the best quarterback on the market. And that is going to be Bryce Young. I think he's going to bring an excellent level of leadership and he's going to bring a really high skill level to this team. He'll be linking back up with John Mechie, who he did ball with last year at Alabama. So I think Bryce Young to Alabama, uh, I'm sorry, Bryce Young to Houston from Alabama just makes the most sense there at number two. Number three, I know there was some questionable charges and such with this guy, but it seems like they're kind of under the rug, and that's Jalen Carter, defensive tackle out of Georgia. Arizona could be hitting an absolute reset button this year. Head coach is gone. Kyler Murray is going to be injured for the majority of the season, maybe the whole season. They just want to keep him out until next season. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is probably going to be out of town. So could we even see the Cardinals trade this pick just a few slots down to get more assets? Absolutely. Absolutely. But for the time being, I feel like taking a stud defensive tackle to just anchor that defensive line is a good avenue for them to take, plus whatever compensation they may get from a DeAndre Hopkins trade, other trades they may make, or even trading this uh, third overall pick. But right for now, no trades. Number four is C.J. Stroud from Ohio State to the Indianapolis Colts. Again, a team like Houston hitting the reset button and just going to be taking the best quarterback available. Could I see Stroud going to Houston and Young going to Indy? Absolutely. But I do think this is kind of where the pieces will fall into play because Bryce Young will be linking will be linking back up with his ex receiver from Alabama in John Mechie, and I think that's uh, a trend we're seeing in the NFL. You have Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase, Trevor Lawrence with Travis Etienne, Bryce Young, John Mechie. I just think it's something that's going to. I mean, Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith, even something we're going to see moving forward. Number five. Will McDonald, defensive end to, to Seattle, with the um, with the uh, Seahawks linking, um, sorry, inking rather, Geno Smith to a three-year deal. It doesn't really seem necessary for them to take a quarterback, in my opinion, because I think in their perspective, they're looking at their team as a win-now team, especially with the NFC West, <clears throat> excuse me, going to be lackluster this year. The Rams look like they're trying to trade off pieces. They just they want to trade Allen Robinson. They want to trade Jalen Ramsey. Matthew Stafford might even be available. They've already released Bobby Wagner. So expect the Rams to take a huge step back. Cardinals obviously are, are going to take a step back. Who's the other team out there? Why can't I think of the other team? Oh, the 49ers. 
you know, they, they're going to have some decisions to make with free agency looming. So I think Seattle could be sneaky. They almost made the playoffs. Oh, they did make the playoffs. Duh. They did make the playoffs this year. The game didn't go well, but I feel like if they can get that edge rusher, that closer to put pressure on the quarterback, something that they lacked in my opinion, I think this is a really good move for them because you had a great draft last year, drafting two starting tackles, Tariq Wollin, arguably the best cornerback outside of Sauce Gardner last year in the NFL, who easily could have won Defensive Rookie of the Year if it wasn't for Sauce Gardner. And then you got Ken Walker, nice young running back. You still have DK Metcalf, the leadership in Tyler Lockett, and Geno Smith again locked up for a couple of seasons. I think the the Seahawks are going to be looking to win now. Could I see this pick being moved and them trading back to get more assets? I guess it kind of just depends on how they value like a Tyree Wilson or a Miles Murphy or if they want to go with uh, another cornerback to put alongside Tariq Woolen. But for now, I have them taking Will McDonald. Number six, or I should say six overall, Detroit taking Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback out of Oregon. This could be Joey Porter. This could be Brian Branch, Keely Ringo, Cam Smith, whoever they choose to be the number one corner, because I don't think a cornerback will be chosen before Detroit. That would be kind of silly I think from a team if they do again Detroit could they trade out get more assets I just think if they address I don't want to say their biggest need because it's not a big need for them they still have oh what's his name I can't think of his name I see him but I can't think of his name the cornerback from Ohio State why why can't I think of it Lions cornerbacks why can't I think of it oh my god not no he used to be there Darius Slay why I show up I type in Lions cornerbacks and Darius Slay pops up. Uh, why Why can't Jeff Okuda? Thank you. Jeff Okuda. Why well, could not believe I couldn't think of that. Anyways, um, to put him alongside that, because the biggest flaw for the Lions last year was defense. At the end of the day, they had one of the worst defenses in the league. Their offense was a very good surprise. I don't see them up, upgrading a quarterback because Jared Goff played so well this year. And also, you don't need to take a quarterback. You don't need to take a running back. Don't even, you don't even need a, a wide receiver. Could you go tight end? Sure, but the tight end by committee wasn't too, too bad once you traded TJ Hawkinson. So I think this pick will go to defense one way or the other, whether they go edge. But they went with edge with Aiden Hutchinson last year. I think there's no linebacker to take at that spot. If Jalen Carter's still available, maybe. But for the time being, I'm going to go Christian Gonzalez. Again, it could have been any of the other available cornerbacks at that spot. Number seven, seventh overall, we're going to go Will Levis, quarterback out of Kentucky. And I don't know how much I love it, but I do have a foundational love for the comparisons that he's getting to Josh Allen. Big body, big arm, kind of slept on, potential developmental project. I mean, he'll if he goes to... Vegas, he'll be a day one starter. And I think Josh McDaniels, after seeing Josh Allen in New England twice a year for the past however many years, um, I think he's going to want to take a guy like Will Levis and kind of transform him into a a pseudo-Josh Allen with that body, with that frame of work, with the skill set. And then you throw him Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs if he comes back. And I think that offense in Vegas could be sneaky good. I do think Vegas will be taking a quarterback here at with this pick if one's available. Do I see them trading up? Maybe. Maybe. I just don't know if they should, though. That's the thing. But then again, who else are you going to have? You could have Jimmy Garoppolo for a year, and then you know maybe if Richardson's still available, you take Richardson, and maybe he's the quarterback long-term. Maybe you wait for a draft class next year, or and you try to just get by with Jimmy G. Because I don't think trading the future, trading the house to move up to get a quarterback is, I think, the, I don't think it's the right idea for the Raiders. And I'm going to get into it at the end. But we, if the Bears stay pat at number one, we should expect only one quarterback to go in the top three. We should. I don't see Arizona taking one. I don't see Chicago taking one. Let's say one of those teams trades out, more than likely going to be the Bears. Whatever team is trading in, you would have to expect them taking a quarterback, which will be two out of the top three quarterbacks. 
will a team like Indy trade up? Will a team like Vegas trade up? Will a team like Carolina trade up? Who knows? I personally don't think, and I know I have it in my top 10 mock here, I don't see two quarterbacks getting out of the top three. I see two quarterbacks. I'm sorry. Yeah, did I say that right? I see two quarterbacks being taken in the top three. I know I don't have it here. That's why I have Indy at number four. Because in a perfect world, I think Indy and Chicago will switch. Maybe I'll have this on my mock 1.0 when I give you my full 31 picks. But it's going to be really, really interesting to see. You know, Are they willing to wait? Will a team like Carolina jump up? Will a team like, even though, say, Houston trades, I mean, no, they're not going to trade down. I'm just trying to see how it could work. Maybe Seattle trades down, and they still take Anthony Richardson. There's so many different questions that will be faced for all these teams. And I think if <clears throat> if Vegas sits and waits at 7 for potentially Will Levis, well, let's say something bizarre happens, right? Indy trades up with Chicago. Carolina trades up with Arizona. Now we can expect three quarterbacks to go. We're going to expect Indy to take one. That's why they're trading up. Houston's going to... Houston's going to take uh, whoever's best available for them. And then if Carolina trades into number three, they're only doing that to take a quarterback. So where does that leave a team like Seattle? Maybe take Anthony Richardson. A team like Vegas, maybe who wants to take Anthony Richardson. <coughs> Excuse me. It really does leave a lot of questions. I don't know if Vegas will be able to afford to sit. If they want to take a quarterback, maybe they don't even want to take a quarterback, and I'm completely misreading um, what I'm what I'm hearing from my sources. So at this time, it is so much more interesting than the regular season. So much speculation, so much news to talk about. And we still have three more picks to talk about in the top ten. Number eight, Tyree Wilson, defensive end out of Texas Tech. Some people even have them pegged in the top five. Some people have them pegged at top three. Some people even think that he can go number one. If Chicago stays pat, I think if Chicago stays number one, they're going to take Will Anderson personally. But Tyree Wilson does have top 10 material. He does even have top five material. And I really think Atlanta addressing their defensive issues is paramount. They sucked last year, bringing pressure to the quarterback. Well, they had like 22 sacks all year. I don't know if that was last, but it was definitely close to last. And I think they want to address that with number eight, eight overall pick. Number nine, Michael Meyer, best tight end in the league going to Carolina. I know a lot of people kind of have them pegged to take a quarterback. I just don't know if number nine is a good spot for, I mean, if Will Levis drops, absolutely. Do I see Carolina trading up? Absolutely. Do I see them taking Anthony Richardson? Maybe, but who's he going to throw to? Right? Who's he going to throw to? You drafted Matt Corral last year, and he didn't play at all. Could you cut him? Sure. Could you wave him? Sure. Why not give him a shot to play? I mean, maybe you saw some things in practice you didn't like. But Anthony Richardson's going to be a project. He probably will look look bad year one, year two. I mean, we heard the same thing from you know about Malik Willis last year. You know, work of pro, uh, work of uh, he's a project. He's going to take some time to develop, but if Carolina takes him, they can mold him, and then he, they don't take him. They don't even take a quarterback, and he falls into, what, the third, fourth round? So, like, if they're not sold and they don't trade up, I don't know if they're going to take a quarterback at number nine, unless a guy like Will Levis is still available or if they trade up to get a Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. That's the only way I see them taking a quarterback. Like, I just I like Anthony Richardson. I, I I like the potential, but he reminds me a lot of Malik Willis and Trey Lance. Malik Willis in terms of that raw upside potential, and Trey Lance in terms of not a lot of college experience. Went to Florida. He looked really good, but he played what like 10, 11 games. Trey Lance played like 11, 12 games, and I know he hasn't really had a chance to show whether he can or can't play in the NFL, but like. It's really hard to just buy into that, that like speculated upside from a guy, especially where you're a team like Carolina, where you have so many holes to already that you need to fill, potentially running back, potentially wide receiver, 
offensive line can always be fixed. Defense, maybe. But when you're in the NFC South and Brady's gone, and I, I know that the Saints just got Derek Carr, so Saints right now looking like the best team, but there's still no guarantee. Atlanta is obviously rebuilding, but maybe they get better. Where do you fit in? Maybe you do take Anthony Richardson and you're like, you know what? We're willing to wait a couple of years. We're gonna we're gonna be by this kid's side, and hopefully within two three years, he's the best quarterback in the division, and we're the best team because we made the you know X Y Z moves. I feel like we were saying the same thing last year about Malik Willis, and I know Tom Brady was you know at this time he was coming back, but like there was a time where Tom Brady was retired. He wasn't coming back. And even when he did come back, it's like, all right, well, Brady's only going to be around for what, one year, maybe two years the most. So like if Malik Willis is this project, then let's take him. And by year two, year three, we're going to be better than the Bucks, which clearly wasn't the case. So I'm just so, ugh, this is a really interesting spot for the Carolina Panthers. Really, really interesting spot. But number 10 to round out the top 10 for my 2023 NFL mock draft is Miles Murphy, the edge rusher from Clemson to the Philadelphia Eagles. Defense was a calling card for the Eagles all year long. They're going to have some pieces moving on that defensive line, whether it's free agency, guys not coming back. Um, Robert Quinn, I don't know if he announced his retirement or being a free agent whatever, but I just think reassuring that edge, your defensive line, your front four, your front seven is just paramount for them to potentially get back to the Super Bowl. Was this potentially a Cinderella team this year? Maybe, but I think they're going to try to make moves and strides to reassure themselves that this wasn't a one-off. You know, we're an actual team to stay, and I think bringing in a guy like Miles Murphy, again, a closer, an edge rusher, a guy who can bring pressure to the quarterback, which is something the Eagles were fantastic at last year, I think will really make them a team to be reckoned with in the NFC. And honestly, that is my top 10, and my biggest takeaway is five edge rushers five defensive ends taken in the top five will anderson at number one will mcdonald at five tyree um wilson at i'm sorry yeah tyree wilson at eight miles murphy at 10 and if you want to count jalen carter he went number three but he's a defensive tackle but still four or five guys on the front seven going in the top 10 i think really shows the direction that the league is going on the defensive side of things is bringing pressure to the opposing quarterback, making them make quicker decisions. We've seen how paramount it's played. We've seen how successful it is for teams to win championships and win ball games. Another takeaway is I I think the quarterback carousel that we're going to see in free agency, like I said, Carr just signed with the Saints. Rodgers potentially going to the Jets. What about Jimmy Garoppolo? I think is going to have you know really play a, a lot into what teams do. I don't think where Jimmy G goes is going to determine if Houston takes Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. I don't think that's going to determine if Indy trades up to number one to draft their quarterback. But there's going to be a lot of different things that will be decided. Again, look at Geno Smith re-signing with the Seahawks in extension. Does that put them out of play for a guy like Anthony Richardson? Does that push their chips into the middle of the table and be like, we want to win this year? So many different questions that need to be decided, and I'm very, very excited that this time of year is here, and it is now. Super duper excited. For episode 184, I'm trying to think. I probably will have my first round mock draft 1.0 out. And we can discuss it and break it down here. And then I'll probably post it on social media later on, like that weekend. I think that's not, that sounds good. I think I'll get working on that 1.0 today and this weekend when I have time next week. I'm very excited for that. I, It's hard for me to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, I see C.J. Stroud going to the Colts. But I also see the Colts trading up to number one to get him. But I have no projected trades. Like, I think I, what I'll do is I'll have projected trades. I really do. Just because it makes it a little bit more exciting. Because, again, Carolina could trade up. Vegas could trade up. Chicago could trade down. A gazillion different things that I could see happening across the NFL. 
especially within the top 10, especially within the top 15 and 20. And maybe we see teams trading back into the first round. But, you know, I think that's just later down the road. You know, no one can really predict the, the Jags trading back in, the Jets trading back into the first round. But we can sit here and predict and project a team like Carolina trading up because it does make sense in a variety of different ways. But that will do it for today's episode, guys. I really appreciate you joining me. And again, thank you for understanding on why I had to postpone last week's episode to today. But it is, but it is very, very humbling and exciting and thrilling to be back behind the mic giving you another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But that is going to do it for episode number 183. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. So I really do appreciate you downloading listening and of course enjoying to each and every episode and if you listen to this on youtube thank you so much for clicking on the video if you enjoyed it please make sure you smash the thumbs up button comment down below and if you're new to the channel consider hitting that giant red subscribe button as i would appreciate the love and support next week again we'll probably talk about you know mock draft 1.0 maybe update the celtics and bruins a little bit because with the springtime here we're going to be talking a lot about Celtics and Bruins. Of course, I want to sprinkle in some Red Sox as we get more and more of their games played. Are they still undefeated right now? Almost positive they're still undefeated, which is kind of wild to me. But again, like the preseason, I take zero stock into spring training. I want guys to get their work in. I want them to, I mean, I guess it's different because in baseball, they don't really have plays like they do in football. Because with football, and uh, you know, uh, training camp and preseason I want them to understand the playbook I want them to develop and get better and build chemistry and like I still want them to to get better develop chemistry you know all that good stuff but a little bit different but again I could t- care less about spring training results I really do get your work in get better build chemistry be ready for the season but again guys that's going to wrap it up for today's episode I will catch you in the next one but between now and then you guys know that I love you I will always always see you